And so today what we're going to do is we're going to dive into, uh, we looked at the need for salvation, and today we're going to talk about the provision of salvation. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3, so if you want to get your copy of God's Word ready, and it'll also be on the screen, and it'll also be on the YouVersion Bible app, which is ready to go uh, this week. And so if you can get ready for that, but we're going to talk about the provision of salvation, how God provided salvation. And what a great day to do that here on Father's Day. You know, as a father and as a husband, I have the pressure of needing to provide for my family. Uh, my wife and I, we have six children, and that, that is a big load. And so I'm always just, uh, Lord, help me to continue to provide for our, our family and, um, and so just like fathers provide for their families, our Heavenly Father provides us with salvation. And we're going to look into that in just a moment. But before we dive into God's Word, let's say a word of prayer that God and the Holy Spirit will speak through me because it's not my words I want you to hear. It's God's words that I want you to hear today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you and we thank you for your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that this word will divide truth from the lies. And I pray, Father, that we look into through the eyes of our Heavenly Father and that men here today and uh, fathers, the potential fathers here today can even see through their eyes, Lord, how salvation was provided and what we need to do and really what we don't need to do to earn or to gain that salvation. Speak through me today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In, um, in Romans chapter 3, uh, verse uh, 21 is where we're at. And we're going to read uh, verses 21 through, uh, through 31. And it says like this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentiles, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, if, if Facebook was written, was invented back then, I bet you Paul would put this as a status update, this verse right here. Many of you have heard this verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies who, those who have faith in Jesus. So Paul, as he talks about righteousness, he talks about righteousness through faith. And through this section, as I kind of pointed out at verse 23, it talks about how all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look, every one of us have sin in our lives. Yes, even this pastor who's standing up here. I was born in sin, and yes, there are, there is, there are even things that I do that 
are contrary to God's plan for my life. And, and periodically have to go before the Father and confess those and say, Father, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for harboring those thoughts. I pray, Lord Jesus, you give me strength to take those thoughts captive and that you remove them and remove my sin as far as the east is from the west. And so even, uh, it doesn't matter where you, if you grew up in church all your life, it doesn't matter if you are just barely walking in faith. You and I, we all have sin. You know, there, there are men who, in this world who walk around and they think, man, I, I, I'm overbearing with sin. I've got too much things. I've done too many wrong things in my life. Whether it be uh, drugs or, or pornography or prison time or just, you know, a little bit of um, dabble in, 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 um, in alcohol. Just whatever it is. Men, they walk through their life and they think, you know what? I've got so much sin. How could God look at me? And Paul is saying, look, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even that person who grew up in church all of his life, everyone has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's very important that we understand that, that, the right, that God's righteousness is revealed God's righteousness is revealed because of the sin in our lives. When we have that sin and we realize that sin, then we see, wow, what holiness God has and um, what righteousness he has. And so how is it explained? It talks about in, um, in verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Atonement. That, that Hebrew word for atonement, that means to cover, to cover. Jesus Christ covered our sins with his blood, with his atonement. You know, we were talking about Noah earlier. It's really interesting that this same word, uh, Hebrew word for atonement, is the same word that is used there in Genesis when, when God speaks to Noah and says, I want you to cover the ark with tar and pitch. I want you to cover the ark. The word cover, atonement, that Hebrew word, it's the same word. Why did God say that? Why did God want to cover that ark? To protect from God's wrath. To protect from God's judgment. And so even today, even, uh, even when Jesus came into the world, and even today, we can rely on the blood of Jesus Christ, how it covers our sins. That is the atonement, and that is God's righteousness explained through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, what are the implications of God's righteousness? In verse, um, verse 27, for where there is boasting, it is excluded because of law, the law that requires works. No, because of the law that requires faith. Now, he goes on to say, it talks about how, um, how the Christian life is not built upon works, it is built upon faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, him and him alone. You know, uh, up until Jesus, the people uh, showed an outward sign. They followed God through, through circumcision and then following the laws handed down uh, by Moses. But once Jesus came in uh, to the world, Jesus said, look, just believe in on me, believe in the sacrifice that I am going to provide 
Believe on me and you will be saved. And so following the law, following those, those rigid laws is something that we don't have to focus on as much as a relationship with Jesus. Because if we fall in love with Jesus, then the, the, the result is a life that is following the law. The law written uh, through, through Moses by God, found in the first five books of the Bible called the Torah. And in this law, God lays out some things that the Israelites need to, need to do to, to live a life of righteousness and holiness and, um, and included animal sacrifice where people had to sacrifice animals that were spotless and to, to provide an offering to God for their sins. Well, Jesus came as that spotless lamb, living a sinless life, and he said, I am the ultimate sacrifice. Just believe upon me. Yeah, the law still exists, but to be quite honest, if you fall in love with me, if you spend time with me, if you understand me, then you're going to have a natural result. Your life is going to follow that law naturally. You know, it's almost like in a household. In a household, you know, there are, there are rules that you lay, lay down. In our house, there's, there's lots of rules. We kind of make it up rules all the time because there's so many people in, in our, in our uh, family, and kids are always uh, finding loopholes in our rules, right? I mean, that's just one of the things that they do well. And so in our household, we could say, okay, we need these, 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 and these, obey it. I need you obeying. I need you obeying. You're going to suffer the consequences. But to be quite honest... What we have learned is that the more that we love our children, the more that we spend time with our children, the more that we show them uh, our love and, and, and our provision and our, uh, and our affection, and the more that we spend time with them, the more that they love us and they know us, and guess what? The byproduct of that will be they will naturally want to obey us they will naturally follow the rules of the house. Because you know what? It starts with love. It starts with love. Fathers, I want to encourage you. If you want your kids obeying the rules of the house, you could start with, hey, these are the rules. This is what we got to do. I, I expect this and nothing more. Yeah, you could do that, but you might want to have a better result if you start with love. Yeah, you want to let them know of the guidelines, the guardrails in your life, in your household, absolutely. But start with love and then build a relationship with your children in a way that they're going to naturally fall in line with those rules. Some of those rules you won't even ever need to mention. Why? Because they want to follow. It's the same way. It's the same way with, with marriages, with marriages, the more that you're able to spend time with one another and learn each other's love language and to be able to, uh, be able to, uh, to deposit that love into their life, then they're going to go out of their way to do things for you in return. And you're going to have a natural balance within the home of a, a little bit of give and a little bit of take, and it's great balance, and it starts with love. That's all that Jesus did. Jesus said, look, 
I came to love you. It's about love. The book, the gospel of John, that's all it talks about is love. Jesus came to love, and if you love me, you're going to, you're going to obey me. I mean, that's, you're going to obey God's word. That's a natural result of that. And so um, the implications of God's righteousness is not based upon what we do. It's about how we love. It's about how we love. That's what Paul's saying. Because he's telling the Jews, you spent thousands of years. We have. He was a Jew. We spent thousands of years doing all of these things that are focusing on works. You got to do this. You got to do this. And then the priests have, uh, have laid down even more rules and regulations. And so they had heavy loads laid upon them of following all these rules and regulations. And, and Paul is saying, look, 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 look. Don't focus on the rules. Focus on the relationship. Don't focus on the rules. Focus on the relationship. It's about a relationship with God. It's about a relationship with Jesus. When you get that first, then those other things are going to fall in line. So in, in, as Paul maneuvers over to chapter 4, he talks about the first father of faith in Romans chapter 4. The first father of faith was, was Father Abraham. Okay? You may have uh, sung the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. And all the goofy motions and, and all this kind of stuff. No, I'm not going to do that today. But what we read about Father Abraham and how God promised him, you're going to be the father of a great and mighty nation. Now, this is before, this is before uh, obviously, uh, Jesus came. This is before God sent his Holy Spirit onto this earth, which happened in the New Testament in the book of Acts, after Jesus was ascended into heaven. And this was before the, the prophets this is the very, very beginning. You may say, well, I thought the beginning started with Adam and Eve. Yes, it did. But this was the beginning of God choosing a man to be the father of a great nation. And why did he do that? He wanted to, be the, he wanted to choose a nation and to choose a history, a people group, to where God can show himself who he is, his power, his might, his love, his provision. And he started with one man named Abraham. And so Paul talks about that. And in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, he goes on to say, What then shall we say, Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this manner? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, by what he did, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. I'm going to explain kind of what that means Basically, when he goes on to say in verse 1 and 2, he is basically saying, look, Abraham, Abraham was not justified by his works. How could he be justified by his works if there was no law? This is pre-Moses. There was nothing written down. And so God 
showed himself speaking to his heart to Abraham. And it wasn't works that brought a sense of righteousness to Abraham. It was his faith. It was his faith. Scripture says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham, just like us, we don't have righteousness by what we do. We have righteousness because of our faith, because we believe. You know, I've not, I've not seen Jesus in the flesh. Now, I believe his spirit is here because where two or three or more gathered in the name of Jesus, his spirit is here. The third part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But I've never seen Jesus in the flesh, and I cannot wait to see him in heaven one day, to bow before him and say thank you, and just cry before him, thank you for, for saving me. But I've never seen Jesus, but I do know this. Jesus is in my heart. Jesus is in my life. I have faith in that. And many of you do as well. You've not seen Jesus in the flesh. You have faith. That is the beginning of your righteousness. That's where you start. Men, fathers, how do you start being a righteous dad, a righteous father, a righteous man? You start by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you. And you stop trying to do it and fix things on your own by trying to do things that's good in the eyes of the world, or in the eyes of God, just trying to do all this good stuff. It doesn't start there. It starts with faith. It starts with faith. And this is really difficult for guys, speaking as one, because... Uh, many men are hard-working guys. I'm a hard worker. I understand that if I do X and Y, then I'm going to get Z. I'm going to get, not Z as in sleep, but I'm going to get some money, all right? If I t do these things, then I'm going to, my, uh, my bills will be paid. I will be able to take care of my family and that sort of thing. And I work, and I receive wages for that work. But what, what Paul is saying uh, here, now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited to him as righteousness. There are men trying to work good into their lives in order to present themselves to God. There are men working hard, trying to do good things, be a good old boy. Like Bo and Luke Duke, those are good boys, you know what I'm saying? And so they, you, we, we try to do men, we try to do good things in our life. We say, well, you know what? I'm a good boy. I'm a good man. I don't do a lot of bad things. It's not about what you do and what you don't do. It's about what you believe. You have to start with your belief. And the more that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the more you want to follow what's in his word and read his word, and the more that you invite him into your day by praying uh, with him and praying for others, then the more you're going to uh, adopt the Father's character and the Father's nature. And then you're going to suddenly find yourself one day following those things 
those good things in your life that you were so frustrated with earlier. I know you're frustrated. I know you are. If you're trying to, if you're trying to get into heaven by good works, you're frustrated, guys. You're frustrated. You can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it on your own. That's why God says my strength is made more powerful in weakness. Come before me, men. Come before God the Father. Jesus is saying, come before me, men, with, with a heart that is humble and broken. And come before me with humility and understand that I can take away your sin. So stop trying to be a good old boy. Just start with faith, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it even goes on to say in Romans um, uh, 6 through 8, it, it talks about David, King David. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. In verse 7, blessed are those whose transgressions or sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. He he doesn't talk anything about works. He doesn't say, blessed is the one who doesn't say cuss words. Blessed is the one who doesn't have more than one beer. Blessed is the man who doesn't play the lottery. Blessed is the man who doesn't look at pornography. Blessed, no. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Why are sins forgiven? Because he realizes his sin and he comes before Jesus. Jesus, please forgive me my sin. I, I accept your sacrifice. Please help me to be a man, a husband, a father that has your nature, that has your character. Please forgive me my sin. That's where you start. That's where you start with the saving faith of Jesus Christ. And so as we sort of uh, get on through this, this chapter, and we're going to close with this chapter, as we get on to verse, um, to verse 9, uh, Paul talks about righteousness is available to all. Righteousness is available uh, to all. And he talks about, there's that C word again, that, that circumcision word uh, again, and he's talking about here in 9 through 12, and it says this, in this blessedness only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised. So is this blessedness, is this, uh, this the forgiveness for the transgression of sin, is this for the, the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Is this for those people who, who um, today's translation, is this some people who, who are Christians or people who are non-Christians? Is this uh, for everybody? Well, early we said all who have sinned, even those people who grew up in the church, even those who look like they are Christ-following people, even um, though some are and some aren't. This is for everybody. We have this saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 10, under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after but before, and he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is a father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness may be credited to him. And he is then also the father of the circumcised 
who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith of their father Abraham, had before he was circumcised. And I'm sorry, fathers, I'm talking a lot about circumcision on Father's Day. Now, basically, what what he's saying is, and we talked a little bit about this, and this is not about anatomy lesson. What the heart of the root is this. The Jews' outward sign was circumcision. Our outward sign are things that we do, the actions, that we go to church. We, 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 we have been raised in a Christian home, if, if that is you. My parents are Christian. There are even some that I've met, I've been baptized. I've been dunked in water, but they've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins, to be Lord of their life, and they don't live like it. They just got wet. That's all they did. They just got wet. Baptism doesn't save you. It just gets you wet, and it shows others that you have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. And so what he is saying is this, that Abraham was credited to him as righteousness even before the outward sign. This verse in Genesis his faith was credited to him as righteousness, and then after that, God said, okay, here's how we're going to work things. Here's going to be the outward sign, circumcision, all right? So what, what Paul wants us to understand today is this. You don't need to, to receive that righteousness, that salvation. You don't need to already be going to church. You don't already need to have your life in order. You don't need to be raised by Christian parents. You don't need to have a Christian t-shirt. You don't need to have, uh, be listening to the uh, Christian playlists on Spotify or Christian CDs. You don't need to, to be doing all those, all those things before. You can come to me just as you are if you just have faith in what I can do for you. That's what he's saying. And there's men and there are fathers and their husbands out there who are trying to get their life in order before salvation. They're trying to show the outward sign before they accept Christ as Savior. And that's just, that's just backwards. But, you know, it's in, our, it's in our culture, isn't it? It is in our culture. Like, take, take for example, you, you, you look at Boy Scouts. In order to be an Eagle Scout, which is the, the top honor, you've got to earn all of these badges, and you've got to earn all of these things, these outward signs and symbols to prove yourself that you're an Eagle Scout. Same with karate, to be a black belt. You've got to do all of these things before you could do that. No, 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 no. Guys, we can't look at the Christian life like that. We can't look at faith like that. Faith in Christ is just like a tree. You plant an oak tree, it sprouts, seed comes through the ground. This tree that is inches tall is an oak tree. Whether it's inches tall or 150 years old, providing shade for your entire yard, it's an oak tree. Whether it's newly broken through or matured, that's how the Christian faith is. There's nothing you have to you have to earn. There's nothing you have to do to gain righteousness. 
The only thing is faith, a belief in Jesus Christ. And once you have that, once you accept him as Savior, then just like that oak tree, you begin to sprout and you begin to mature as, as God waters you with this word and his presence in your life. And as you hang around other Christians and other believers and you spend time with them, you mature in your faith. But you're still an oak tree. You're still a Christian. You too can be a father of faith. You too can be a father of faith, just like Abraham. You could be a father of faith whether you grew up with the signs of Christianity in your home or not. You can be a father of faith. Don't think that you can't be a father of faith because of your mess-ups, because of your screw-ups. Don't think that you can't be a father of faith because you didn't grow up in a, in, a, in a right home. Don't think you can't be a father of faith because of all these things weren't right. That's a wrong way to approach it. You're trying to earn badges, guys. And of course, I'm speaking specifically to the guys, but this message is for everybody. I just know that men have this one-track mind of earning things in order to pile them up and say, ah, I've arrived, now I can be this person. That's not how it's done. Paul lays it out. And that's what the false teachers were going around in the early church and telling them. The false teachers, that's exactly what they were doing. They were telling the men, look, guys, you still have to do all this stuff before you can, before you can have faith. It's not really about faith. It's about doing all these works. Paul is saying that is not the Christian faith. That is not how you live the Christian life. And so you can be a father of faith. And there is a promise of righteousness granted through faith in, in chapter 4, verse 13 through, um, through 25. We'll finish this chapter. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. So he's saying that to you. It's not, it's not because you grew up in a Christian home or you're in church right now. It's by faith. Verse four, uh, 14. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, Faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless. Verse 15, because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Verse 16, therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, it may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is a father of us all, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's, Sarah, his wife's womb, was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised, 
This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us. Paul saying, also for you, Lake Point Church, to whom God would credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and were raised to the life for our justification, meaning just as if we had never sinned. So your heritage, just like, just like uh, Father Abraham, our great father who started all this, where God started it with him, we can have a, a fatherly heritage, a father of faith heritage in our life. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you have young kids. It doesn't matter if you have grown kids. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're an old grandpa or a young grandpa, you know, or just barely getting started in life. It doesn't matter if you're not even married yet and you will eventually maybe married and maybe have children. This message of having, being a father of faith, you can use. And you could, you could use it in your family heritage. And just like Abraham, who pushed on through, he, against all hope, Abraham became a father of faith. Because it talks about Abraham, Abraham was well advanced in years. Sarah, his wife, was well advanced in years. Her womb was dead. She could not have children. But he did not waver in his faith because God said, you will be a father of many nations. You will be a father of a great nation. And so, just like Abraham pushed through the hard trials, through the hopelessness, day after day, men, if you're here living in hopelessness in your life, wondering, man, how can I get my family right? How can I get my life right? What can I do? How can I make sure my, my family is in heaven? How can I make sure we're, we're all there? There's so much pressure on me. Let me just say this. Abraham pushed through the hopelessness. I want to encourage you to also push through. As we close, let me say this to the, to the fathers. And, and whether you're, you're a father or not in, in and um, are, are going to be a father or, or whether uh, there, there are women here who are like, you know, hey, this message could be for, you know, the guy sitting next to you or maybe it could be for uh, someone you know. But know this, that there's way, there are ways that you can be a father of faith. Number one, as we, and I'm just basically summarizing what we just went through. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Get that through your thick skull, guys. You're going to mess up. Number two, stop working and start loving. Stop working and start loving. Stop working on trying to get things right and start loving Jesus. And those things that you want to do will become more natural. Spend time with Jesus. Show your family Jesus. Before you know it, your life will show the fruit and the love of your Savior. So you're going to mess up. Stop working and start loving. And number three, don't focus on outward signs. Don't focus on outward signs. Abraham didn't need his outward sign. You don't need the outward signs that things are going right in your life. 
People tell me all the time, well, I need to get to church before I accept the Christ. No, you don't. You will want to be in church after you have a relationship with Jesus. It's a natural progression. So don't focus on the outward signs. Focus on what, what's, what's inside you. And then believe in the hope. Put your faith, which is believing without seeing, and the hope to become the man and our father God wants you to be. You know what that man looks like. You know what that vision of that man looks like. Push through. Hold on to the hope. Come to the Father day after day. Now, how can we as a church help the men become husbands and fathers that uh, are an example of our Heavenly Father? Well, obviously, things such as coming to church and being involved with other men in, 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 in their lives and seeing the struggles that other men go through, being involved in small groups. Small group is the best way for you to grow in your faith as a man. I'm telling you right now. I, since we started this church almost two and a half years ago, I can see men in our church who, who their faith has matured because why? They're, they're in a small group, and that is huge. So don't ever underestimate the power of a small group. The... Um, there's a couple of things specifically that we're going to be doing that I'm gonna share with you that can help you. Starting in August, we're going to have a night where uh, it's, it's gonna start off once a month. It may be more frequent than that, but we're gonna have a men's night of prayer at our church office on a, the first Thursday in August at nine o'clock p.m. Kids are in bed, go home, and we're going to spend time on our knees there at the church office. And if we get too many guys, we'll move somewhere else. But I think we'll be good on our knees in prayer, being men of prayer, praying for one another, lifting up one another. Because when Satan attacks, he goes right to the heart of men, right to the mind of men. And we need to hold each other in prayer. That's one of the things we're starting in August. You're going to start hearing some things, uh, some advertisements and promotions about that over the next few, uh, few weeks. That is starting. Also, <clears throat> this fall, we're going, uh, we're going to start what is called an all-pro-dad chapter here in Emerson. All Pro Dad is uh, it's actually a, a nonprofit organization, Christian organization. They get guys together, they get dads together to help grow in their faith and to build their relationships with one another and their kids. And uh, it's something that we're going to do here in Emerson, and it's going to be here in the fall. And uh, so be looking out for All Pro Dad, an opportunity for dads to come together to be better husbands and to be better fathers. And you'll, be, you'll, you'll start seeing uh, some promos about that as well. But know this, the best way, the best way you can become that man that God wants you to be, get into God's word. Get into God's word every day. And pray, pray with your family. Have that once a week quiet time. I know schedules are crazy, especially during the summer. But try to have that, that once a week at least where your family gets together, you pray for one another, and you read through God's word together, even just a little bit. But, but pray this prayer every day. Every day pray that God would lead you. God would lead you to be a man after his own heart.
God would lead you to be a husband and a father that is an example who the Heavenly Father is. Just say that prayer every day. Father, lead me. Show me.